Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I have Monica Richards from Pico's coming up in just a little bit. But first, I have a new co-host this week, Linda Salinas, beverage specialist. Linda's worked at some of Houston's best bars, including Anvil, Beavers, Liberty Station. She is a beverage consultant who has created cocktail menus for a number of places, including LaGrange, Hungry's Upstairs, Bernie's Burger Bus, and she's currently working on the new Jonathan's The Rub in Memorial Green. Linda, you're an old friend of mine, and I'm so thrilled to have you here. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for having me. What a laundry list of places I've worked. I know. You're very accomplished. Uh, for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also our 50th episode, and so before we dive in, I do just want to thank everybody who has listened to the show. We've been going at it for just about a year. Uh, the audience has grown really steadily, and I, I know that that's due to very strong word of mouth. So if you haven't yet and you would like to, you can always rate this show on iTunes and Google Play. Obviously, positive comments and five stars really help get the word out. And if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can always feel free to email me, eric, E-R-I-C, at culturemap.com. Uh, I do read them, and I do try to respond when it's not just you suck. Very few of those, though. Thankfully, people have always been nice. people have always been very generous about about the show, and I I feel very lucky that I get to do it. All right, so let's start with the news of the week. Uh, no bigger news, probably, than a decision by Caldwell County District Attorney Fred Weber, who dismissed the domestic assault charges against Paul Key, the Austin chef, who until March of 2016 was referred to as uh, someone who won Top Chef, someone who won a James Beard Award, and after March of 2016 was referred to as someone who had assault charges pending against him. Uh, they are no longer pending because uh, the witness in the case, the woman who Paul had been alleged to have assaulted, uh, declined to testify. This has been a, a controversial topic for a long time. It's colored the opening of Paul's Houston restaurant, Aki, in Montrose. There's been a very vigorous debate about whether to write about a key. I know when Allison Cook reviewed a key in the Chronicle, she gave it four stars, but she also wrote a companion essay detailing why she chose to review it. Um, I've always felt like people read Culture Map to know about restaurants, and so I've tried to balance my coverage of whether or not the food at a key is good with acknowledging that the owner has. Uh, these criminal allegations that had been pending against him and are not anymore. Um, and I and I have friends who won't eat there. I mean, woof, what a bombshell. Uh, right. I mean, from the beginning, uh, I think we heard about it, and it was really hard, I think, to even understand what was happening because they were still in the midst of building the... Oh, no, the, he, was, he was charged with this before... It opened. It opened. Yeah. So... Yeah. I mean, it was marred, you know? Yeah, from the beginning. You know, wife beater, assault, there was drugs, there's a kid involved. I mean, all kinds of nasty, you know, rumors. And 
Um, well, yeah, it's not it's not a rumor when it's in a police report. Well, yeah, I mean, no, it's absolutely. documented. Oh yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's been really hard. Uh, it's been really hard to um, to see such amazing talent. You know, um, Jill. Right, Jill Bartolome, the pastry chef. Which is now a James Beard. Uh, yeah, she was a James Beard semifinalist, semifinalist and a yeah, Culture Map Tastemaker Award winner. Absolutely. I can only guess which one she's more happy about. Mm-hmm. But, and, and Gabe Medina, who had been the chef de cuisine until very recently, uh, not there anymore. Whoa. Yeah. Woof. Again, what a bombshell. Again, yes. So, so let me just ask you, have you been to a key? What do you think about a key? Um, I have. Um, I went for a brunch, which I think is really hard to put, you know, for, to have a great opinion about, about a restaurant that haven't gone and done dinner and you know what they're really known for. Um, I think it's really hard to say whether or not it was, I mean, it was great. Um, other than the jumping DJ and like loud music. I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what was happening with brunch. Um, okay. Yeah. I haven't been for brunch yet. It's kind of a monster you know but and i and i've talked to a few people about this uh since the news broke on friday does this change how you feel about paul the the church the charges being dismissed i mean it's as a, as a human being i guess is, is sort of my question uh, yes and no um by yes um i think that People, I mean, people need to continue to move on. Like, he cannot be marred, you know, forever, you know. And not only that, it's not even just a, a is unwilling to testify. Is she, I mean, in the report, it says that she's, you know, doesn't want to, doesn't want to move forward with it. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of like, I guess it's in the past for them and so on and so forth. So, I mean, you can't beat up the guy forever, you know? And I mean, I, I mean, I, well, I I mean, there are certainly, (laughs) there are certainly people who, and I've seen this on social media, uh, don't care. Right. Like they're, you know, eater has stated explicitly, uh, the Chronicle had an article, uh, they are not going to include the restaurant on their, endorsements right the eater 38 their various maps all that kind of stuff yeah um so the and and i will say i i i don't i don't really expect this decision by the district attorney to change people's perception of paul very much no not guilty would have done that if there had been a trial and he had been found not guilty i think that that would have changed things um in my opinion I think he needs to kind of, I think he, he's really avoided talking about what happened that night. Yeah. Um, he's never said that he was sorry about what happened that yeah. night. Yeah. Um, I mean, the police report's pretty explicit. There was blood on the walls. Yeah. I uh, mean, the woman and her child were there. I mean, he needs to. Well, there's, I mean, let's talk about um, somebody else that was having a little bit of problems, which one of our dear friends in in Austin. Right. No. And, and I will say, right, Philip Spear. Got arrested for DWI. And it was pretty bad. And it was know? really bad. It was really bad. It was like his third or something. Yeah. And, and there was video. And it was, but he came out and he made amends. Not only did he make amends, like 
he is a champion for what he, the lifestyle that he's living. I mean, he is living his best life right now. Yeah, he's running marathons, and he he did some interviews where yeah. he was very explicit about I fucked up. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. I did a bad thing, and I'm sorry. Yeah, and I think you know now that now that the prospect of the legal the legal system is done with Paul, I think now's the time that he needs to come forward and and. I'm like, where some of that. I'm like, who is working his PR? Someone needs to work. Like, right. you they know, don't, like, well, I will tell you that that restaurant has been open since uh, last summer. I don't think they have PR. What? Like, I don't think they've ever worked with anyone uh, in my capacity. I've certainly never heard from anyone. And, you know, there's just like, and this is inside baseball for most of the audience, but, you know, the prospect of like pictures of the chefs and the dishes and the restaurant that are all the things that PR people usually take care of, uh, none of that exists for a key, right? Like when I needed a picture of Gabe Medina for the Tastemaker Awards, I went to a key and said, hey, hold still for a second. And I took a picture of him. Yeah. So, yeah, I think now's the time to kind of roll that whole thing out. Yeah, and come out and say, hey. Yeah, I, I, had, a up, I had a really bad night. Yeah, I had a bad and night. And I feel really bad about it. And this is never going to happen again. And and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to explore this too deeply because I I don't want to say that what happened that night isn't reprehensible, but it is fundamentally different than a chef like Mario Batali or John Besh, who has been accused of pervasive sexual harassment in their businesses and discriminating against their female employees. Yeah, right. It's just a, it's both bad but very different, and I think we need to think about the difference between a private bad decision and a running a business like yeah, absolutely. system of harassment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really, I mean, it is, it is really hard. I mean, it, what it has been really hard in the past year watching so much of great, great talent, you know, Sarah Keck running the bar program, you know, Jill Bartholomew doing the pastry, Gabe, you know, was working, you know, basically as the executive sue, I think. Yeah, he was you the know, chef de cuisine. Chef de cuisine. I, I mean, Nikki Bongthong, who had worked at, at Uchi, is their sous chef. People tell me she's a rock star. I don't yeah. I don't know her personally, but I hear really great things about her cooking Yeah, and her talent. So, yeah, there's a lot of talented people that have churned through that place already. Uh, Nikki and Jill are still there. But, you know, I mean, hopefully just for their sake of their careers, the, the restaurant gets some stability, but... Um, personally for Paul, I think he's still got a long way to go to, to be actually redeemed. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let us move on. Um, yes. Because I, I, I'm desperate to get your take. Oh, on gosh. Here we go. So I, I joke that every week there's something new from a food hall, and this week is no exception. Uh, Bravery Chef Hall, which is coming to the RS Market Square Tower. Uh, the concept is that there will be five chef stands right? Sort of uh, like elaborate chef's counters. Uh, ben McPherson is doing pasta. Felix Flores is doing steak. Christine Ha, a good friend of yours, is doing kind of Vietnamese bar food. And David Guerrero is doing like a cool Asian-influenced Peruvian thing. And then they haven't announced who the fifth person is going to be yet. Um, but for the bar, they want to do something a little bit similar. They, they have a setup called Indie Bar, and they want to find a bartender who will develop the concept and then run the thing as if it were their business 
without the expense of, you know, signing a lease and getting a TABC license and funding a build out. But they want that person to handle the concept, the staffing, the scheduling. Managing your space. Yeah. Creating a menu, picking the spirits, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me as an outsider like an intriguing opportunity for a bartender who really wants to open his or her own bar but isn't quite ready to do it yet. Um, you, in some ways, have developed so many programs that you, you're you kind of on that list of like, I don't know if you ever want to make the jump to bar owner, but... No. Uh, yeah. No. You've seen it too close. No, I'm just too close, too close. Uh, but do you think there are people who will be interested in this? Well, yes, of course. <clears throat> I do a lot of consulting and... Um, and I think one of the things that I always get a, a, a call for are people that are being asked to do consulting. And I frequently, freq- I'm, I kid you not, once a week, I'll have a fellow bartender that is wildly talented, but it's like, I don't know how much to charge for this consulting. And I go through the laundry list. Do you know how to cost out? Do you know how to develop a drink? Do you know the margins for that? Do you know what this juice, you know, how much this costs? You know, do you understand? You know, it's like I, there is a part of me that really hopes that the best for whoever these candidates are, but like, what's the, what's the merits? You know, like, do you, do you know how to do the cost? Do you, what kind of, you know, I I mean, there's people. Right. So, so let's be specific about this. Okay. It's one thing to say, I know how to make a delicious drink. Right. That's kind of one aspect of, of building a bar, building a cocktail menu. And then it's another thing to figure out, like, how all that, how much all that costs the bar and then what to charge for it and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I left, when I left, you know, Anvil years ago, I was a baby and I was insufferable. Like, I knew, I knew the history of Manhattans and bitters and everything, but I couldn't cost out. I didn't know how to talk to people. Like, I didn't know how to talk to people. I mean, I, I mean, I can kind of do it now, but... Uh, I hope so. I mean, but, I mean, costing, you know, operations, you know, ju- you know, juice now. Um, I mean, all that stuff. Like, it's, this is not, it's not for, for, you know, for the, this is not a lighthearted, you know, thing. Like, it's cool to make drinks, you know, and... As cool as like cocktail might have been, you know, in the 80s, like that's really awesome. No, dude, it is hard. It is hard to do cocktails, you know. <laughs> right. But so this is kind of a step between, you know, being like a bar manager at a restaurant where your drinks have to kind of fit in with somebody else's vision. Yeah. And owning your own bar with all of the pressure and expenses. And I think one of the things that really kind of, kind of like scratches me a little bit okay is that it's it's being called a cocktail bar as opposed to being like because cocktail for me cocktail bar is you really know what you're doing and you're all you're also gonna have to wait for drinks you know like i mean the only people that can get away with that is you know bobby and 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 them like they they've got it you know they've got it you know but I don't, I mean, it's, it's really hard to do cocktails these days. Like, 
you know, do a frozen margarita stand. I don't care. Like, I just, you well, know. Well, right. So that, so the concept is completely up to the person who's pitching the bravery partners who are on my and Shepard Ross and, and a third person who's Leanne, whose last name I'm not going to remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But yes, so right. If you want to do all frozens or all martinis or all tiki or whatever, they're, oh, they just want to hear a pitch that makes a certain amount of economic sense for them. Well, and I think what's happening is also, um, uh, I think it just got posted today, um, the United States Bartenders Guild, which is, we have tons of members, which I'm a part of as well. It's the United States Bartenders Guild. And um, we, uh, I just got, it just got posted today. Like, hey, they're looking for the next, you know, um, the next candidates. I mean, I would love to see, uh, I would love to see some of the, the, the younger, you know, the younger bar staff, because I mean, in, in, in all honesty, sometimes I am a little crotchety when it comes to, you know, new ideas. I'm like, oh, I'm, that's dumb. Why would you put those two, two things together? But, you know, I'm, I'm sure that someone will. All right. Will. So so here's where I call you out. Oh, are there a couple of people that you think should be like seriously thinking about throwing their hat into this particular ring? I mean, there's a couple of people that I'd like to see, you know. You want to name names? Man. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to see, um, man, I'd like to see Alex Negranza do his own thing, you know, for like one year. I know that's impossible. because <laughs> That's he's impossible like, because he is like so far immersed in, in Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the now the director. I mean, he's is. now he is the director. He doesn't even have right. to bartend, you know. But... Um, I think um, I think Thomas Reyna would be really awesome at that. Where's he? Uh, Thomas Reyna has worked for a couple of um, a couple of different um, dive bars, and um, he works at the Harp now. Um, he's worked a couple of like programs, but the reason why I like him so much is is that his attitude behind a bar is like like nobody else. Um, Really warm, completely hospitable. I'm really tired of seeing uppity bartenders. Like, you know, the let me let me tighten up this bow tie and you know suspenders. It's like, come on, you're making drinks. Be happy, you know. Right. I mean, I I've really liked the work that Joseph Seahorn has done at Wooster's Garden. Yeah. He's got a really dynamic personality. He's good with guests. Yeah. Um, I mean, I. I think he's a manager over there. He's probably pretty happy where he's at. But if he wanted to to reach the next level and go off and do his own thing. I mean, even like one of the some of the lady bartenders, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I I think Sarah Troxel and Nobis go together like peas and carrots. So yeah, I don't think she's absolutely. probably she's probably looking around for something else. But if you know, but I also know that she's like obsessed with all things tiki. Yeah. So if Sarah wanted to open a tiki bar at Bravery Chef Hall. I mean, there might I be, would be super down with I that. I mean, we might be seeing something from them in the next year. Uh, you know. Uh, oh, stay, Sarah and Jacob? Sarah. Yeah, well, just Sarah and you, and a couple of other people. But oh. Just, you heard it here first. I mean, we'll just see. Just keep just keep an eye. You know, keep going to Nobis. You know, <laughs> keep going to Nobis. I don't work for them. I, I love those guys. I keep asking you why you haven't gone to visit or posted or something about them because i just well, love, no, love, no. Love. i i posted about them first yeah when they opened 
and then the rest of the media caught up to me. Oh Lord, here we so, go. So you know they don't. Nobody doesn't need me here anymore. Here we go. But yeah, no, they got nominated. Sarah was a nominee for the Tastemaker Awards this year. They were nominated for Best New Restaurant. Yeah. Uh, last year. Yeah, no, I, I or, really. You know what? Or it. even like, um, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Stuart Humphreys from Passing Provisions going to do a, you know, going renegade, you know, and doing his own thing, you know. But he's been there for, for he's the he's longest. He's been there for stand- a couple of years, yeah. Yeah, he's the longest standing bar manager, you know. They yeah, couldn't you- keep anyone to. S- you know, right? You just got banned for the from the passing provisions. Uh, I know, I know. He's that's it. It's over. No <laughs> All right. Let I w- I do want to hit one other thing very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston has this interesting public partner, public private partnership thing when it comes to parks and restaurants. So there's the Grove at Discovery Green. There's the Dunleavy on Buffalo Bayou. There's the Nico Nico's in Market Square, and there's. Uh, Artista at the Hobby Center. So the next version of that is going to be Jones Plaza. Mayor Sylvester Turner announced last week that there's going to be between a 20 and $25 million renovation of Jones Plaza, and it's going to include a restaurant. I talked to Chris Tripoli, who's a very prominent local restaurant consultant, about kind of what he's looking for to find the right operator for that space. Um, and they want to do like a green space there as well. Yeah, they're going to do a green space. They're going to do concerts yeah. there. Yeah. You know, it's right in the heart of the theater district. And so, and also in the heart of the central business district. So breakfast and lunch during the week for downtown office workers, maybe a pre-show dinner, maybe post-show drinks or desserts or both. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, and there's an opportunity to do something special because there's all these food halls that are coming to downtown You've got Bayou Place. It's got kind of mostly restaurants I don't want to patronize, but but they're there. They've they've been there for a long time, so uh, it's an interesting opportunity. Uh, and they're looking for the right local restaurant group to fill it. And I I just kind of what's your wish list? Like who do you who or what do you think would you like to see in the park to make it more appealing? Well, I think you know the better better questions are what exactly are what exactly does that does that supposed to look like? Is it someone that wants to do breakfast and lunch and early dinners? Is it just someone that's like lunch crazy? Are we talking about counter service? Are we talking about? I mean, yeah, probably those, counter service. Police, police, police. You know. Yeah, uh, I mean, or like a really like you know like if you sort of piece together like some of what Johnny Caraba owns, right? Yeah. You could have like Mia's burgers and. Carabas, pastas, and common bond desserts, like you know. Um, hello, Burger Chan. Yeah, that would be incredible. Burger Chan. I mean, I don't know if you guys know about Burger Chan. We've talked about Burger Chan on the show, but go ahead. go ahead. No, no, please. So, Burger Chan is a burger place in the Greenway Plaza. Um, they have been there for a couple long? of years. Couple of years. It's a husband and wife. Diane and Willett. Uh, Diane and Willett. Willett worked for Justin you at, you Oxheart. at Oxheart. So he's got serious chops, but um, they make amazing, amazing burgers. And they do great breakfast. Um, everything is uh, very, very well thought of. I mean, it's a counter service. It's They would crush it there. Yeah, and then they would just have to come up with something at dinner or work with someone to to round out kind of a 
a late night program. But yes, I think I if mean, if Diane and Willett Fang wanted to step up and embrace Jones Plaza, I think they'd be an incredible addition. Yeah, I mean they're I mean they crush. I mean they're 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 thoughtful and I mean they could they could run that. They could they could run that. But I mean I would I mean I wouldn't mind I wouldn't even mind one I I would like to see someone that does like really good counter service, you know? And like Right. Polly, right. So in and in that sense, Polly's is a perfect fit because they yeah. have they have counter service pretty much. I mean, right. I hope it's not to one of the Landry's people or, you know, one of those guys come in and just be like, Oh, here, let me half ass everything. Um but I mean People, people are just okay yeah. with mediocre sometimes. Well, and it's a couple of years away, so we have a lot of time to figure out who and what that's going to be. Yeah. All right. That does it for the News of the Week. Linda and I will be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Okay, Linda. So for our Restaurants of the Week, we want to talk about places that serve breakfast. Uh, breakfast has become very trendy recently. More and more restaurants are embracing breakfast. But so, are they really? Well, I, I think that's the, that's the important first. More and more restaurants are serving breakfast. Um, you and I go out to breakfast with some regularity. There's definitely better and worse out there. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you're competing in an interesting space, right? Because there's sort of the classic dinery. Yeah, you I know, mean, Barnaby Avalon and, Diner, right? Fountain View Cafe, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but these places are trying to kind of put their own spin on it. Um, what is it about breakfast? Do you think that that is challenging for people? I think that finding the first off, trying to get the word out that you are going to do breakfast and you're going to be serious about it. Um, our good friend, uh, Justin Turner at Bernie's Burger Bus. Tried it for like two weeks. And tried it for screaming. two. Yeah. He, I'm, and the food was good. The food was super I good. I mean, that guy crushes like anything he puts, he puts any minutes into it. I mean, it's, it's instantly good, you know? Um, it was great, great food, but people weren't coming, uh, because that's not a part of his brand. I think it's really hard for people to really, you know, embrace the idea of, oh, let me think of, I mean, cause that's what happens is, is that, you know, you open up your restaurant, you know, you, you're a lunch and dinner spot, you know, right. You, so you already have employees coming in at like eight, nine o'clock to prep for lunch and you just servers figure, come in at 10, right. You'll just add a couple of people. Yeah. It's easy, but it's not, but it doesn't always work out. No. I like, mean, so we went, so we went to Fiji's barbecue. They have breakfast now in Greenway Plaza. Yes. Uh, breakfast tacos, biscuit and gravy, quiche. bagel and cream cheese, and a quiche. quiche. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of up and down for us. Yeah, it, it was. It was up and down. But I, I mean, but that's that. That client is already there. That guest is already there. You know, right? That guest is already there. People are already coming to their office at eight o'clock in the morning. They really are there to just. I mean, it's written in their in their lease. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like they're coming. It's not like they're coming out and being like, "Oh man, we really want to, we really want to change the world." No, I mean, um, it's a part of their lease. They've, they made a couple of you know snacks for people to kind of walk out and go. Like, um, yeah, I mean, Erin is Erin Fijis is known for her biscuit. She created the biscuit recipe at Blacksmith. that has been widely celebrated, and so the biscuit with the boudin gravy is killer. 
Yeah. As you would expect. Yeah. Uh, breakfast tacos were just okay. Yeah. Um, but that's a good repurposing of leftover barbecue. Yeah. So for that reason, it's, you know, yeah. a good idea. Yeah. And I mean, and across the way from them, again, is Burger Chan crushing with that sweet Hawaiian roll with eggs. And even though you don't like eggs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Eggs and sausage and bacon. And yeah. 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 It's all that good stuff. Um, right temperature and a handful of tots for 75 cents. Oh, right. And then another place that's kind of new to breakfast that we really like is Relish. Uh, restaurant and bar on Westheimer and River Oaks. Counter service. That spicy chicken biscuit's really good. The oh, cinnamon yeah. rolls are good. And you know, you know, and they did it right. They did it right because they don't have staff to wait tables. And I think that um, we we go to Relish and everybody gets in line and we, we get, you know, or we sit at the bar and it's a two-man team and everyone that's there is happy. Um, we had a very interesting uh breakfast uh picos yeah and i think so picos has added full service breakfast uh during the week monday through friday starting at 7 a.m and you know i i thought the food was pretty good i mean like their pancakes were good the bacon's cooked nicely there's some you know chilaquiles and and all that kind of stuff yeah um but it's a it's a really large restaurant. Yeah, you're shunted into a corner, and the server doesn't seem like he's that happy to be there. The environment's not great. Yeah, the environment. I mean, and I think that that's, and I I think that, I mean, and maybe I'm just thinking too much into it, um, but I like having happy people like serve me. Right. You that's know? that's part of what has made Snooze so successful is they are, they are relentlessly cheerful. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we walk in, we sit down, and it's you know, it's a 45-year-old man, I know that guy probably has been waiting tables for them for years, you know, and, man, I got to do the do, you know, and it's just like, like, oh, like, I, like, it was, it just no, didn't feel good. Right, just especially in the good. morning, especially in the morning environment matters. Yes, absolutely, and I mean, and that's, I mean, that's really, that's, I think that that's really the biggest difference with, you know, we go out and eat breakfast at, you know, right. uh, we go to baby Barnaby's and it's the same guy that's been there and when forever I'm, and he's cheerful and, he's and the like, food is pretty good it's all, and yeah. it's not expensive. Yeah. And every time I go, even if I come in on the weekend, he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't, where are all these people here? They're not supposed to be here. And he's like, I know, I'm sorry. Like, just I'll see you on Tuesday. And I'm like, oh, you know, but uh, no, I mean, I think that that really matters. And I, you know, as, as far as, you know, I think an idea for any restaurant is consider for at least a minute, consider your staff, you know, um, sometimes it'll change. I mean, even managing a bar when there's five bartenders on and no one's, no one's like busy. Like that's when you start making mistakes. Like there's too many people on staff or people are like, Oh, I'm not making any money or whatever. I mean, there's a fine line because inevitably, you know, um, employees are the worst, most of the time, waiters. Right, right waiters. after the customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right after the customers. Um, but, I mean, you have to consider that, you know, consider that, you know, um, how people feel, you know. Um, and breakfast is, I mean, not breakfast. Early is hard. You know, right. Early is hard. All right. And then just really quick because we are, we are running a little bit long. Sorry. Uh, no, no. This, it's as much my fault as yours. I do want to talk about Saigon House, uh, the Vietnamese restaurant in Midtown. It's been open for a couple of years, but it just changed hands. 
and they have added Viet Cajun crawfish. You've been you've been urging me to go for weeks, and I finally took the plunge this weekend. And I just want to say publicly and out loud, Linda, you were right. That's right. That's the crawfish right. at Saigon House were delicious. <laughs> they have like they have what three or four different flavors. They have um, so they have a a Houston. Yeah, which is the butter and garlic kind of standard. Butter, yeah, yeah. So, Cajun. so there's a Houston, there's a Thai, and then there's... It's like a citrusy one that we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the Thai one, and it was delicious. Yeah. The butter and garlic, of course. Of course. And then there's one that's like a Cajun, it's like Cajun Viet or something like that. It's got some garlic, some spices. It's good. Those guys are crushing it. The service is... I found the service to be very friendly. Yeah. Uh, but I will say... I tagged them on Instagram, and then they sent our table a couple of their wok fried uh, blue crabs in tamarind, what? tamarind blue crabs. So what? I think they 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 might have been looking for me. Oh, okay. Well, they might have improved the service. You know what? I'm tired of you and your. Oh well, they know who I am, so whatever. It's not. It's not real. It's not real. You cannot say that. I just. It's not well, right. <laughs> I just try to note it. I just try to note it when it happens. Uh, I don't think it made the food taste better or be cooked better drives uh, me crazy oh he'll be like oh it's so good uh do they know you're there uh yeah uh yes i mean yeah blah, blah, blah. and i'm like well that's not real it's not real you can't tell people that because the people are not and you know what and i'm just gonna put it out there remember that one time we i cannot even remember what it was but you basically turned around and you were like, they just treated me like a peasant. And I'm like, that's right. That's right. You're supposed to get treated like a peasant sometimes. That way you know what it feels like. Yes. No, I, I walked in. <laughs> I walked in. I walked on the hay merchant late on a Sunday oh, yeah. night and there was no one there who recognized me. <laughs> and I had pretty mediocre service. Mediocre Guess what, buddy? That's what happens. That's and what happens late at night at yeah. Hammerton. And, and it's a bar. Come, come your tetas, you know? No, it was fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, still, you know, food was still, food was still pretty good. I still tipped. Everything was fine. It's just, it's like, ugh. Oh. You're this gonna is get what normal people feel. You're like. gonna get banned from Hay Merchant, and they just opened for lunch. I know. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, actually. yeah. He's gonna get banned. <laughs> uh, not today. All right. That does it for our restaurants of the week. Uh, Linda, where can people follow you on social media? Oh, uh, it is. Is it Kaylinda HTX on Instagram? I is that right? I think so. I think that's it. That's uh, Kaylinda HTX. Um, and your new website. It's just drinks.org. There we go. For your cocktail consulting business. Yep, that's right. I'm going to be working on some juice programs this summer. Um, obviously, Jonathan's The Rub is on the very, very top list. Um, fall opening. Fall opening, but you know, I'm still going to be working on it. Um, you know, it's hard to open up restaurants. I don't know if you know this. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm helping my homeboys over at Grit Grocery develop a little juice program for them. Um, with some of fresh produce, by the way, uh, it's really freaking hard to work with abnormal carrots. I'm just saying. All right. All right. Well, we are we are out of time. So, Linda, thanks for being on the show. We will have you back soon. And I will be right back with Monica Richards from Picos. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by... Eighth Wonder Brewery. So glad to have Eighth Wonder back as a sponsor of the show. It really is one of my favorite local breweries. 
their brewery in East Downtown that they call Wonderworld. It's such a great place to hang out, especially now that the spring weather is here and all of the sports teams are kind of in, in full bloom. The Astros are back in season. The Dynamo have kicked off their season. And we're looking forward to a deep playoff run for the Rockets. Eighth Wonder is a really great place to go before the game for a couple of beers, maybe a bite from the E2 Boys food truck. And of course, you can find it on tap walls and shelves all over the city. They have the Vice Timer that's their new year-round beer. It's made the jump from a seasonal. And looking ahead, we can look forward to the return of Haterade. There goes us. So thank you to Eighth Wonder for sponsoring the show. And I'll be right back with our guest of the week. I'm joined this week by Monica Richards, the Chief Marketing Officer and Beverage Director for Pico's Restaurant, a bona fide Houston institution at this point. It's been open for about 30 years. Monica, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I always like to start at the beginning with guests, which for you really is like the time you were born, right? I mean, your parents opened the restaurant right around the same time. Yes. Uh, the restaurant's exactly one year older than I am. <laughs> so let me just let me just ask you, it, it, it even it may sound like a stupid question, but like, what's it like growing up in a restaurant? Well, I don't know any difference. So I guess very vibrant. Um, we have the unique opportunity to try new food all the time. My dad's an incredible chef. So getting to watch him, you know, work on his passion in a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis is super lucky for us. I mean, you can imagine how many people that don't ever get to see their parents that work all the time. And for us, it's kind of a good balance. Right. I mean, I could sort of point out the buildings my parents worked at, mm-hmm. you know, or like, you know, maybe you get picked up from school and you go sit in mom's office yeah. while she's on the computer, but you don't, you know, there's no intimate interaction, right? I'm not exactly. aware of what she was, what her day-to-day tasks were uh-huh. or anything. I mean, for us, I mean, we were always in the kitchen, running around, you know, doing, you know, me- messing with all of the <laughs> longtime employees, unfortunately for, for them sometimes, but they were, they were good sports about it. <laughs> I mean, did you know growing up that you wanted to stay in the industry or, or how did that, how did that come to pass? Um, I don't know. It, it kind of, I fell, fell back into it. Essentially. I had originally gone to school for fashion design and international business and, um, it just kind of happened where it was calling my name again. It was something I could never really fall out of. Did you know, because you worked for restaurants that were not, for other restaurants, right? Yes. I went to go work for corporate restaurants just to really learn that side of the business. Um, essentially, I, I do very well in a structure, structured environment. So for me, that was a great opportunity to learn more. And it's also more of like a cheerleader environment as well. You know, you have all of these like old school restaurants that have a very, very, I don't know, like old way or old mentality of handling employees and HR issues and all that stuff. And then you have, you know, the corporate side where it's just a little bit more PC, maybe. Right. It's a little it's a little bit less like family and a little bit more like do your job. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, with us, we have both aspects of it, which is great in our environment at Pico's. But then, you know, there's also other family-owned restaurants that are not like that. They're more corporately structured or they're le- even less, you know, than what we're doing now. And we've had some of our employees with us for, oh, my God, more than more than 33 years. And at that point, and working with somebody for that long, you kind of develop 
into a family essentially. So there's got to be a little bit of give and take. Right. So when did you come back? So, so when did you leave the corporate world and start working with your parents again? Well, the Cheesecake Factory had put me on their international opening team. And I was set to go to Dubai for six months. and Or no, sorry, Kuwait for six months to do support for one of the new locations that had opened up there. And then I was going to be in Dubai for two years. My father really did not want me to go. <laughs> he knows my personality. He knows I'm loud. He knows I'm, I don't necessarily hold my tongue all the time. So after even as much cultural training as you can go through, it might not have been the best environment for me and my future in the restaurant business. So they gave an op- another opportunity to stay here and eventually take over their business. And it has been the best decision I've ever made in my life. So when did, so Pico's move from Bel Air to Kirby about three years ago, right? Uh, four. Wow. Okay. So yeah. Four years ago. Um, do you kind of thinking back on it, do you kind of remember what the reasons were for, for making that move? Cause you, I mean, the restaurant had been somewhere between like, not quite best kept secret because it had received plenty of acclaim, but but it had been very successful in Bel Air. Yes. Or on Bel Air. Yeah, for I mean a restaurant that size for us to be selling, you know, three and a half, four million dollars a year, that was unheard of for that type of place, you know, that size of place and you know, neighborhood for where it got to eventually, as opposed to, you know, where it started. So yeah, absolutely. It was Right, but but so so then how did your how did you and your family decide that it, the time had come to move. Um, we had heard that Nevis wasn't doing very well at that location. It was potentially going to be going on to um, be a Carlos Vincias, Maggie Rita's. And there's always rumors in the restaurant business, no matter what city you're in. So we started shopping around places, especially in Upper Kirby. You could see the trend was moving into an even more elevated neighborhood than it had originally been as far as restaurants and retail spaces go. Um, I mean, for many, many years, it was just pretty standard and kind of flat on Kirby up until about five, six years ago. So we decided it was a good time for us to think about it. So we started shopping around and essentially found that location to be potentially available and went with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, you know, the culture map comment section is always full of, um, real estate experts and restaurant <laughs> yeah. consultants who thought that it might be difficult for Pico's to compete with Papacitos across the street and El Tiempo down the street and, and everything else that's going on in Upper Kirby. But, uh, I mean, we can be pretty honest about this. It's been basically an unmitigated success. Oh, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> what I you- mean, that, didn't, that did not come with, uh, without its trials and tribulations as well. It's been, it's not, you know, restaurant, restaurant business isn't, isn't easy. But with our family and everything that we put into it 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 has sustained itself so what do you what do you think it is about what you're doing at pico's that allowed you to make the move and, and kind of keep your existing customer base and and frankly grow the business pretty substantially well in every move you you know in, in life and in business nobody really likes change i mean there might be some people that do but not not a lot of people like change and we were an institution in that neighborhood, and I think it was important for us every single day when we got to Kirby to show them that we were still family-oriented. I remember when we were going down to Mexico to purchase all of the lighting fixtures and all the furniture and stuff for the restaurant. We wanted to make sure that it still felt like home, and my mom 
was always very, very passionate about, about making it very family-friendly as well. So there needed to be a fine balance between, you know, a more elevated, not-so-humble beginning Mexican look, uh, restaurant to something that kind of plays into both worlds. Yeah, and I think uh, your father, Arnaldo, Arnaldo's easy for me to say, food really does that too, right? Because you, you still have enchiladas and kind of kind of humble Mexican food. But, you, I mean, you can go to Pico's and you can get duck and you can get steaks and wild you can boar get, and yeah we bring in all kinds of uh like wild caught um river fish and i mean the sky's the limit really mexico has so much diversity there's so much influence from countries from all over the world that we are very very lucky to have the possibility to make the dishes we can make yeah and i mean i think the restaurant deserves some credit for helping teach houstonians the difference between tex-mex and Mex Mex. Yeah, it separates the best from the rest. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you, I mean, how do you feel about kind of where the, what the restaurant's place is? And, and I mean, what do people go there to eat? I mean, what are you, what are you selling? You know, actually we sell 60% of our sales is in seafood for food wise. So, I mean, a lot of people have this very ignorant misconception of, Mexico Mexican food not being seafood and you know I've had customers come in before that tell us oh I didn't come here to eat seafood I, I you know I came here to eat Mexican well look at the look at a map yes there's <laughs> I mean, coasts like, on both sides exactly it's, so it's uh sometimes it's a little frustrating to show people open their eyes to opportunities as far as Mexican cuisine goes and what we're capable of and I think we've done a good job of that my dad's passion has always definitely been education and educating the public and bringing in the right ingredients because dried chiles and produce and stuff from Mexico is completely different than anywhere else in the world. That You know, you have big distributors bringing in produce from different other countries. They just don't, it just doesn't, doesn't taste the same. Yeah, and um, you and your father and your mother, I mean, you all go to Mexico a few times a year, right, to kind of stay current with what's going on. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we're gone. One of us is gone at least once a month. In September, uh, my father started a produce importation business, thinking that it was just going to grow slowly. And it's really skyrocketed into, you know, larger opportunities for us to bring in better quality produce, um, traditional indigenous things from Mexico that you couldn't get before. So, like, what are you bringing in? Well, um, there's a lot of spe- or different kinds of uh, dried chiles that you could not get here before. I mean, if you look at Alvin Schultz, he's always on the hunt for different types of corn. And there's just so many different things that we just don't grow here. And, I mean, the the, you know, the United States just really just doesn't have it going on like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I think the other thing that kind of distinguishes the old Picos from the new Picos is that the cocktail program is much more sophisticated. Yes, I've had a lot of fun working on that. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, at a time when tequila has become more trendy, I mean, you're, you guys have been riding that wave, too. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, we're very, very lucky in the fact that it is or has become very trendy so that when people come in, they're not just going to look at the first margarita on the menu. They actually like take some time to 
choose what they've been taught, essentially other bars or reading something online or seeing a billboard or, you know, having some, you know, their friend buy them their favorite shot somewhere. And then it goes into like, you know, very fine details of, you know, how tequila is made. And um, I think the biggest trend from scotch drinkers um, to tequila nowadays is the most exciting thing for me because essentially that subgroup of scotch drinkers would have you would have never ever expected for them to go anywhere else besides scotch you know you 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 can can imagine like how many family members you have right that that's their they have their one drink and they stick with it and i i like to see the 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 new transition into bigger and better things well yeah so are I mean, are you getting like bourbon and scotch drinkers that want to try mezcal because it's still got that kind of smoky? No, um, I'm. I get them trying um, reposados and añejos more than anything. Oh, so barrel aged tequila. Mm-hmm. And then, are you? I mean, are you sort of working with the different brands to get? I mean, because there must be like different barrels and different styles. I mean, like, of like what are you? Like what's exciting right now in tequila, or what what should what should the people who are listening to this uh, becoming a picos to drink? Oh, well, any of our private barrel selections. I think right now we have seven of them. Um, there's anything from well, now Casadores is in all of our frozen machines, which is very very exciting for us. I just went down in February to go choose a barrel with them, but in that aspect, I actually got to blend the barrel myself. So we were there with the. Um, Master Distiller and Master Blender, and we cracked two different Reposado barrels and one of the Añejo barrels there in their aging warehouse and built our own blend. So I'm super, super excited for people to come and try that because with Herradura, with the double barrel Reposado program that we've been doing now for about 10 years, that has been the most successful barrel program that we've run. So, I mean, this... You know, new things are always good. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's such an interesting spirit in the sense that you know, there's the agave plants have to mature for seven years, right? And mm-hmm. and so there's companies that are like very strict about you know traditional traditional farming, traditional uh, you know the way they cook the the way they cook the agave and process the agave and then age it. And then there are companies that are kind of working to speed that up a little bit. There are definitely four different ways of, of making tequila, but everybody is open to do it. However, they would like to do it as long as it falls underneath the laws for the CRT. Some people have a perception of the way tequila should be or how it, how it should be processed, how, you know, how the agave should be grown and very, very thick opinions about that. In my opinion, I believe that the people from that denomination of origin should be should be allowed to do whatever they want to do with their agaves and produce whatever tequila they want to produce with their agaves and age it however they'd like to age it, as long as it falls underneath the law. And if it tastes good. And if it tastes good, of course. Yeah, that's the overall goal. I mean, I mean, you got to wait 10 years for, for a shot. That's a long time. <laughs> And and it, and and a very expensive shot. Yes. I mean, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't buy fifty dollars pours of whiskey, and I, I probably don't want to buy a fifty dollars shot of tequila. Well, I mean, but then you have that fifty dollars shot of tequila. 
could be anything from like Herradura Selección Supremo or like, oh my God, like Casa San Matias, their Rey Sol. Whew, delicious. Totally worth it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause that was the next question is, <laughs> is how much of that is marketing and how much of that is like, this is a mind blowing spirit and I have to try it. Um, there are a few extra Nejos out there. I'm not going to name them that I believe are more marketing driven than anything. But then you have your older, like self-sustainable distilleries that have been around for generations of not only this master distiller that's in place now, but, you know, jimadores that have been harvesting their fields, generations in their families as well. It's very much a sacred spirit to me. And so, and you go, I mean, you go to all these distilleries. You're, you're down... I'm lucky enough to have been afforded the opportunity to visit many of them. Do you have a favorite? I'm not going to say that my favorite. <laughs> well, you're getting married at one of them. <laughs> yes. That might be a thing. Yes, we're getting married. Well, no, that's not my favorite necessarily. Um, but uh, we're getting married to Hacienda Cuervo in Tequila. And if anybody really like has an opportunity to go and visit Tequila, it's essentially very easy to get to. You fly into Guadalajara. It's an hour north. And the town is so quaint. It's so special, um, great museums, great food. And the people are just different there. Life, life is so peaceful. Um, so the other thing about sort of Picos is, I mean, you've had, you've had four years of success in, this, in the new location. I mean, have you started to think about what's next? I mean, do you, do you look at some of these fast, casual taco concepts and think like, we could put our spin on that. Yeah, all the time. I drive by places all the time. I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we also have to be realistic. And, um, you know, there's other opportunities in, in Mexico or in other cities we could potentially do. And whatever's going to be the right fit for us next, we'll go with it. Are there, is there some specific criteria or do you, I mean... No, uh, I I would just say you know the money's got to be right, and it, it we have to, we have to be able to afford enough of our time towards that business. So I would I would never ever go and branch out like that and not have you know a thousand percent of myself on it to at least open it and you know make sure that day to day operations are taken care of by a very strong team. Um, we are we are recording this a couple of days before Cinco de Mayo, and I, and I know that's always a very important. <laughs> Uh, part of what you do. So let me just ask you, I mean, what's going on at Pico's for Cinco? Because I feel like it's... Well, we have the lar- we have the longest party in the city this year. Ours starts at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. There's a Herodura tequila dinner that um, the global brand ambassador is actually coming in for. Ruben Aceves is very, very talented, uh, dynamic, I love it when he comes in to do the dinners because you learn, you know, no matter how many times I talk to him, you learn something new every single time he he sits in front of you. So it's an incredible opportunity for people to come in and not only try the lovely special four courses my dad's designed around the tequila, and then you get to sit and, you know, and speak with him and ask any questions you want. And then what about on Saturday? Well, Friday I have another cocktail party at night. And then Saturday is all day. Saturday is from um, 9 a.m. in the morning, or really 7 a.m. in the morning. If you are ordering food, you can order drinks, essentially, here in Texas. So that's good to know. (laughs) And then we go all the way up until 2 a.m. the next morning. So there's two different DJ sets. Uh, The first one starts at noon, and that's actually going to be Andy Maurer is going to be the morning DJ. And then uh, DJ Charlie is going to be at nighttime. And there's... 
promo girls and, you know, people walking around, you know, handing out swag. I've got the Red Bull girls coming. We've, I mean, it's going to be a great, fun, electric environment, nice and loud and fun. And So you've got, you've got three days of Cinco festivities. Four, because uh, Sunday, sun, oh, Sunday, Sunday Sunday's the recovery brunch. <laughs> uh, how many cases of tequila are you going to go through in the... Oh, Lord. Um, I hope a lot. <laughs> I'm worried about the rain. So... Okay. We're... we're I mean, if the, if we're the wet... We're teetering on whether or not we're going to buy another 1,000-square-foot tent, because I want to make sure that we have enough space and, you know, time for people to get through and, you know, get through Cinco and have a good time. And you'll basically live there all weekend. Oh uh, yes, yes. <laughs> this is even even though I live so close, I was seriously considering getting in a hotel room somewhere like a block away from the restaurant. Or yeah, something. there's that uh, Crown Plaza right around the corner. I'm yeah. sure they'd be able to hook yeah. you up. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, we've known each other for uh, probably five years now, mm-hmm. and I know one of the things you always like to talk about is is kind of the camaraderie that you feel with other restaurateurs that there's a sort of a community of people who've been doing this for a long time i know, I know you're a, a frequent carabas patron for example yes yes we are our whole family is um do you still feel like that exists is there like a an I, esprit de corps in, in houston's restaurant community i i think so i mean most everybody comes and visits us and we're normally at Place, you know, places that are in our neighborhood, you know, also in downtown. I mean, this just is what it is. I mean, I think being in the business for so long that you just kind of help each other out. Do you do you still feel like the people who are coming up, like the people who've opened in the last few years, have that same? Do you have that same sort of relationship with them, or is there something about people who've been doing this for twenty years or more that? Um, we do have that same relationship with some of them. Um, I feel that there is a lot of work for some of them that they need to focus on personally, but, um, there are a lot of them that understand the depth of care and, um, passion that it takes to serve people your vision. I mean, it's, it's not easy waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning and still being in the kitchen at 11 o'clock at night and having to do it all again the next day with a smile on your face. I mean, there's something to be said for patience and understanding and then creativity, like having to be like that all the time. But at least from a certain perspective, it's got to be a little bit easier because you, you know, the, I think Houstonians have come to understand that, that there's a difference between Tex-Mex and Mex-Mex. Yes, absolutely. And there's so many people here in Houston that do both sides very well. Um, and, you know, going back to the old school versus new school restaurateurs, we're very, very lucky to be established um, and it, it, it may be harder for those that are not right now in the climate that we have here in Houston. I mean, some places are not doing very well. And, um, there's also a, a, a very much a need for more employees. I mean, places that are opening are constantly looking for bartenders are constantly looking for servers and there's Line just, cooks, there's, everything yeah, else, everything. And there's just not enough people here in Houston yet to sustain that much growth. I think it would be better if um, the city of Houston kind of took a step back and realized well, who they were handing. You know, you know what I mean. Well, I, I mean, and I think some of that's the market, right? I yes. Mean, places open, places close. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and certainly, I mean, Upper Kirby has been 
not spared that at all. I mean, you know, just down the street from you, um, Salt Air closed, and mm-hmm. that was, you know, veteran restaurateurs who I know, and that restaurant understood was the risk. It was a beautiful restaurant God. with good food. I had Brandy Key on yeah. uh, just last week, and we talked a little bit about it. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the market... Ultimately, the market will decide kind of people, you know, diners will decide with their dollars. Exactly. Who gets to stick around. Yeah. I mean, in in that aspect of your present and, you know, giving in your community and you show people that you're not just here to take their dollars and you're here, you know, for the long run and here, you know, to give them the experience that they're looking for. And also... With food, I mean, it's got to be consistent. If it's not consistent and you constantly are running through a bunch of employees, then you're constantly spending money on, you know, it's just a revolving door. It's just awful for some people. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think I think for Pico's customers and certainly, you know, in my experiences dining there, like I can count on seeing you or your father or your uncle mm-hmm. Alex, like almost always there's going to be someone from the family there kind of keeping an eye on things. Absolutely. And I do think that that sets the tone, right, for your employees and for your customers and for everyone else. I think it is, too. My dad has always been big on presence, um, presence in front of the customers, presence in the, in the community. And hopefully we're doing a good job of that. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you're doing a good job of it? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out this weekend, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you run out of tequila, it's a good sign. I mean, everybody's talking about it this weekend, so <laughs> hopefully, yes. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me through my topics, unless there's something you're just super excited to talk about. Oh, the, um, on Saturday we have basically like a New Orleans style daiquiri shop again of like six to seven frozen machines. I might even have nine come in depending on how many of the rental companies can get us. I have at least seven right now. <laughs> oh, so, so what's the one that's like, cause there's like a regular house frozen. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's the what's the offbeat one? Well, it's not regular now because now it's been with Cazadora's tequila. So, oh. it's a, technically all of our margaritas are top shelf. <laughs> clearly, it's, I, you know, I feel like I've been to Pico's in the last couple of months, but clearly I'm due for another visit. Yes, absolutely. Yes, this weekend. <laughs> no, no, I am, uh, I, you know, like, I, I think of um, Cinco de Mayo at, both Mexican and Tex-Mex restaurants, the same way I think of like Free Press Summerfest and Mardi the Art Car Parade. <laughs> uh, I am super happy that they happen. I wish nothing but success to the people who organize them and happiness to the people who participate in them. Well, thank you. Uh, last weekend was a long weekend. For but us. I will. But but I will be uh, elsewhere. Uh, if you need me, if you need me on uh, Saturday night, I will probably be like eating Chinese food or at an Irish pub or something. Smart man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but everyone else should go and should go to Pico's and have a good time. I'm gonna come eat Chinese food with you. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I mean, if that's it, then you know, I always I end this I always end these interviews with what I like to call the lightning round: five easy questions, five short answers. Okay. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Monica Richards, what is the first non-Pico's restaurant you worked at? Oh God, what was that? On the border, I think, in college. Um, what's the first <laughs> band you ever saw in concert? Oh, NSYNC. <laughs> Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, I got to go with J.J. Watt. <laughs> what is your 
fast food guilty pleasure that comes from a drive-thru? The egg rolls at Jack in the Box. That's mine. I love that place. <laughs> I've been doing this show for a year and no one has said that. <laughs> um, and then I usually ask people where their favorite place to get a taco is, but I feel like I know your answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> so where's your So where's your favorite burger in town? Oh, my favorite Bel Air Broil Burger over in Bel Air. It's a very just, good, very old school response. Yeah, I had it on Saturday. <laughs> um, Monica, tell us how to follow you guys on social media and what your website is and all that. Okay. Um, our It's going to be picos.net. Our handles for uh, Instagram and Facebook is going to be at Pico's Restaurant. And then you can follow me at, at Tequila Maven. Awesome. And you can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next time.